the thing is that we all have blind spots. We all have situations in our lives that we want to change, but don't seem to be able to. That's where hypnosis and hypnotherapy comes in. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. If a person, let's say, smokes, and they want to smoke, there's nothing to discuss there. You see, we are not the judges of how people should behave, whether or not a person should smoke. That's a different conversation. In therapy, we work with that person who recognizes that they want a particular outcome that they don't seem to be able to achieve. So, for instance, if the person says, I want to stop smoking, but can't, something drives me to keep on smoking, then we can help that person. If the person says, I recognize that I'm overweight, but I like being this way, there's nothing, you see, we're not going to discuss that. But if a person says, I want to lose weight, I just can't, something is stopping me, that's where we come in. If a person wants to achieve something and can achieve it, there's nothing to discuss. If a person says, I want to study accounting, and they go to school, they study accounting, there's nothing to discuss, you see, because they want something and they are well on their way to achieving their goal. You see, the key here, what I'm trying to impress upon you, is the key is when we want something, but for some reason, we don't seem to be able to do it or to get it. So, in the example of the person who wants to be an accountant, let's say the person tells you, I've been going to school, I've been studying, but I cannot learn, I cannot remember, or I become anxious during the tests and I fail them, even though I know the material. I'll give you an example that came to mind. I worked with a young man once who was an engineer, and he had taken the professional engineer's exam six different times before he came to see me. And he would continue to fail, even though he was a tutor, and everyone else that he tutored passed the exam. He had a profound degree of, um, of test anxiety, and he would get nervous when he would sit down to do the test. Well, he came to see me, we cleared it up, he took the test, passed, became a professional engineer, his career took off. So, once again, the work that we do is to help the person who wants a particular goal or a particular outcome, but for whatever reason doesn't seem to be able to get it. Now, it doesn't come from nothing. There's work involved because we have to change the subconscious portion of the mind and remove those blocks. Now, as soon as I talk about the subconscious and unconscious, you know, the question of belief comes up. And sometimes a person will tell me, well, I don't know if I believe in hypnosis. And sometimes, you know, depending on the mood that we're in, you know, sometimes I feel like asking, but do you believe in gravity? Do you believe in, you know, it's like our belief in something doesn't change the existence of that thing. The idea of the unconscious has been known and discussed for thousands of years. And more recently, in the last uh, 130 years or so, people have been actively studying the unconscious. The whole profession of psychology started out with studies on the unconscious. And, yet, and, and still, 
all psychological therapy has to do with the unconscious. You see, it doesn't really matter what sort of therapy a person goes into. Why do they go there? So why does a person go into any kind of therapy? Forget about hypnosis. For the very same reasons that they come to a hypnotist, you see, they want to achieve something and they can't. I want to have a better marriage, but we keep on fighting. I want to lose weight, but I keep on gaining weight. I want to quit drinking, but I keep on drinking. I want to get a job, but I don't seem to be able to do a good job in the interview. And on and on and on. So any therapist of any modality, any person who goes into any sort of therapy, wants to achieve an outcome that they don't seem to be able to. Now, if you look at all of those therapies, I'm talking about talk therapy, not medical therapy. Right? I'm not talking about going to a doctor's office, taking medication, doing surgery. That's a form of therapy as well, medical therapy. I'm discussing talk therapy, psychology, and, and the associated branches of psychology, such as hypnotherapy. So let's say that a person, person tells you, look, I don't believe in the unconscious. Okay, but, but do you have a goal? Yes, I want to quit drinking. So going to therapy, seek a Seek a cognitive behavior therapist, seek a psychologist of some type, and see if you can quit drinking. The person goes into therapy, they talk to the psychologist for a number of sessions or months or years, whatever the case is, and uh, they quit drinking permanently. Let's say that that happened, right? The question is, what happened there? What happened? They talked and talked and talked and investigated and asked questions and, uh, and talked about feelings and emotions and behaviors. And, and throughout the whole process, what actually happened? The client, the person, changed his mind at a subconscious level, at a fundamental level. They remembered childhood events. They remembered, you know, by virtue of talking and being asked the right questions, and by virtue of observing his or her behavior and emotions around other people who are drinking, and on and on and on and on, right? This could be a very long intervention or a short intervention. Bottom line is, they end up changing the outcome. The person who was an alcoholic is no longer an alcoholic. But if you look at what really happened there and what the intervention really was. It was only words. And all of those words made it possible for the person to realize a number of things. And the things that the person realized during their therapy were where, before they started therapy, were inside of themselves. But they didn't have conscience access to it. So, for instance, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. And pardon me if the example is a little bit too graphic, but I have seen over 12,000 people over 25 years. I've seen everything in the world of therapy. So, some of these examples might be a little bit graphic. But let's suppose a woman tells you that she wants to have better intimacy with her husband, but something stops her. In other words, she feels anxious, and she cannot give herself to her husband. Just, just uh, that's, that's the presenting problem, as we call it. So you ask this woman, but do you want to have intimacy with your husband? Oh, yes. Do you love your husband? Do you want? Do you, do you, do you feel attracted to him? And on and on and on, right? All those questions. Yes. So bottom line, do you want to have this experience? Yes, I want to, the woman tells you. 
okay, go do it. Oh, I can't. You know, in my mind, I, I, I want to, but when the moment comes and, you know, it's like the, we, be, we begin the whole process, somehow I begin to feel anxious and I cry and I, and I run to the bathroom. I'm making up this part of it, but the anxiety related to intimacy is quite common. So the person cannot do it. They want to do it, but they cannot do it. So they go into some type of this woman that I'm making up, goes into some sort of a therapist or psychologist who does talk therapy. And we talk and talk and talk and ask questions and what happened here and how do you feel about this? And every time your husband touches you here, why do you, you know, do you, and on and on and on. And let's suppose the whole process takes one year. Again, I'm making this up. I'm not suggesting that it does take one year. I'm making up all of this, right? Throughout that year, let's pretend, and I'm not saying that this happens in every case, I'm just giving an example. Throughout that year, this woman remembers that when she was a child, her neighbor used to touch her inappropriately, and she used to feel very much afraid. And she was never able to talk to anybody about this. Now, she was six years of age when this happened, so she does have memories of these events, but the memories were so unpleasant and she felt so ashamed of those events that she sort of buried it from her memory. She wouldn't really think about this consciously, but somehow or another, when her husband would begin to touch her intimately, she would start feeling anxiety. So you might say to me, okay, but you're making up the story. Okay, I'm sort of making up some details based on a ton of cases that I've worked with of people that I worked with, but you can see the point that I'm making. That idea that she was touched inappropriately when she was six years of age was where the memory, that idea that those events or those emotions were stored inside of her mind prior to going into therapy. If you asked that woman, well, were you ever molested? Were you ever touched inappropriately? When you were five years old, six years old, seven years old, did any of your neighbors... She would say, no, 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 I don't remember. No, nothing like that happened. My, I had a really good childhood and nothing like that happened. I don't know what it is. When my husband touches me, I feel anxious. And yet, throughout this year, talking to this therapist or this psychologist and being asked the right questions in the right setting with using the proper techniques, she was able to retrieve all of this from her memory with the result that at the end of that hypothetical year, she is now able to enjoy excellent intimacy with her husband. So you say to me, of course, that's psychology. That's normal. That's scientific. People go to the university for that. They, they you know, that is, I know. But what really happened there? They spent one year talking, and throughout that process, she retrieved emotions from her own subconscious mind, stuff that she had forgotten, she remembered, and then she had to process those emotions and in some way perform or, or, or achieve some sort of forgiveness of herself, of the person, whatever, and they liberated her from that problem with the consequence that now she's able to do what she wants to do, in this case, have intimacy with her husband. That concept has been so validated throughout the world for over 100 years. An entire profession exists, right? Nobody would... Nobody would say, oh, I don't believe in psychology. I don't think that works. I don't think that you can actually do that. Millions of people go into therapy to deal with their blind spots. How come I want something, but I can't? There's got to be a limitation within me, right? And I want to deal with that. 
So, I don't think it would be appropriate in the 21st century to bring the idea of belief into this concept because it has been more than proven for over 100 years. There are people who want to accomplish something, they can't, they go into some sort of process that we call therapy, they talk it out, it might take a long time or not, it doesn't matter, but at the end of the process, they are able to do whatever they wanted to do. Okay, if that's true, and I assure you it isn't, you know it is true because you live in the same world I do, the question is, in how many different ways can we actually go from that initial state to the final or consequent state? In other words, in this example, the woman who is unable to have intimacy with her husband to the very same woman who is now able to enjoy intimacy with her husband, right? So, in between, we agree that there's going to be a process that we're going to call therapy, and we're going to talk things out, and eventually we get to this uh, consequent state over here. Question is, in how many ways can we do these conversations? And each one of those ways of doing that is called a therapeutic modality. That's the word that they use. So, there are many established, well-established modalities. Cognitive behavior therapy is one example. Rational emotive behavior therapy. And, on, and the list goes on. And there are many, many ways of doing that. And each one of those ways amounts to a way of carrying out that conversation. But all of them have one thing in common. We just discussed it. We tap into memories, feelings, regrets, emotions that were within us when we started, but were sort of suppressed. They were sort of hidden from our own awareness. Sometimes we call them blind spots. Sometimes we call them unconscious. We call it by different names, but we all know what we mean. And somehow, when we ventilate those ideas and in some way process that, perhaps we call it forgiveness or however you want to, we process that out of our system. In some way, we now liberate a function that had previously been arrested or, or, or contained or limited, such as, I want to lose weight, but I can't. So now the ability to lose weight is liberated, the person actually loses weight. In all cases of talk therapy, we tap into the portion of ourselves that we're unaware of. So what people discovered over 3,000 years ago, this is not new, this is not something I came up with and it wasn't last year or last week. No, it's much, much older than conventional psychology. What they discovered is that there's a way of tapping into the portion of our minds that we're not aware of directly, without all of the circular conversations. What do I mean by circular conversations? And there's nothing wrong with that. That process is excellent and it works and it produces results, consistent results. But going back to the example of the woman who couldn't have intimacy, so we talk about that and how does your husband touch you? What don't you like? Why don't you tell him this? Why don't you do that? How about you go to a hotel instead? And on and on and on. And you try all these things and you talk about all these feelings. Eventually one day she says, you know, I had a dream and in this dream and come to think of it, my neighbor, See, she remembers. From that point on, she still has to discharge those emotions, forgive or release or process that stuff out, and eventually she's liberated, right? 
What hypnotists discovered, and this goes all the way back to ancient Egypt, actually, there are papyri that indicate that these people were already doing what we now call hypnosis. Hypnosis is a modern term. It only goes back to 1843, a paper published by Dr. James Braid on the, on the neuro, neurology of sleep. You know, it's, a, it's a recent term. 1843 is recent in history, right? It's before psychology was born, but it's still very recent. And so, um, what happens is that they were already using these techniques, and it has been shown that it's possible to save some time by first relaxing a little bit the mind, and then we can go a little bit faster into that subconscious portion. Look, this idea of relaxing the mind and tapping into higher faculties is so validated that when a person tells me, wow, I don't know if I believe in that, it's like, okay, you know, it's like, you know, it's a little bit medieval, of, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not really a matter of belief, it's, it's like that. So, there is a book that has nothing to do with hypnosis, if you're interested in this topic. It's called Super Learning by Sheila Ostrander. And Sheila Ostrander is a reporter, I believe. I read this book some 20 years ago. And she's um, investigating the work of this doctor, whose name, to be honest, right now I forgot. But this doctor is doing this experiment with people who are now able, using his techniques, to learn an entire language in something like eight hours. Of course, they're not erudites. I mean, they, they're able to communicate in a new language in about eight hours of work. How do they do it? They get the mind to relax a little bit, and they find a sweet spot where the person is not asleep, and they're not fully awake either. There's a sweet spot in there, and in that sweet spot, they can put information into the mind. I don't recall in the book the term hypnosis being used. If some of you have read the book recently, maybe you can correct me. I don't recall. Like I said, I read the book at least 20 or 30 years ago. But it's a book that, I, that, that you never forget. Super learning, it's called. And it's, it's one example where the person goes ahead and, and shows that it is possible to do things that normally we would think are not possible, such as learning a language in eight hours. But this has been extensively studied. There's a whole movement, the super learning movement, and all you have to do is get your mind in the right setting there, and you can learn a ton of stuff. So, this is equivalent to hypnosis, although, like I said, I don't believe they use that term in that book. So, the notion that the mind operates at different levels can be correlated with brain electrical activity. Now, the mind and the brain are not the same thing, but the function of the mind is correlated with the function of the brain. And we know that the fundamental electrical activity in the brain, and those are a bit complex terms too, but the bottom line is that if you put a bunch of little wires around your head and you hook that up to the right kind of machine and you do an electro encephalogram and you run those signals through a bunch of amplifiers and filters, you're going to notice that the fundamental or the primary activity, electrical activity in the brain, in different regions of the brain, occurs in certain bands of frequencies. A little bit faster, a little bit slower. And some of those slower frequencies are associated with degrees of meditation and 
degrees of relaxation. Now, you say to me, okay, but now you're pushing it. No, I'm not pushing it. This has been extensively studied in scientific and medical circles. So, Dr. Robert, uh, what's his name? Uh, he wrote a book, the famous book in the 60s, uh, The Relaxation um, Response. And then in the year 2000, he wrote another book showing that when you teach a person, this is a medical doctor at Harvard at the time, doing these experiments, the relaxation revolution, I think it's called the second book. And what they were able to do is teach volunteers these meditation techniques. They would actually measure brain activity, make sure that they were meditating. They were able to show that not only physiological parameters can be altered, such as blood pressure and all that stuff, right? But also gene expression. The genes that your body are expressing, because you could have a gene for a disease, let's say, but you don't get sick because the gene is not being expressed. So gene expression can be altered by using these sorts of hypnotic techniques. There are so many studies on this, and this has been so proven that when a person tells me, oh, I don't know if I believe in hypnosis, like, okay, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to engage in that conversation. I'm here to tell you that this stuff is completely real and here's the kicker. You already know it's real. And the reason why I say that is because how else would you account for the fact that a person wants to do something but doesn't seem to be able to? I'll give an example. A man comes to see me and says, I absolutely love my wife. I adore her. I love my family. I love my wife. But I drink too much. True story. And finally, my wife has had too much. And she tells me, she gave me one year, and she says that if I cannot sober up in one year, she's going to leave me. So this man stands to lose his home, his family, his wife, the love of his life. And at first, you would think, okay, maybe, maybe he doesn't really love his wife. Maybe he's using the alcoholism as a sort of excuse, you know, to get a divorce, whatever. But no, this man is really sincere about the love for his family, and he wants to stay, but he can't. And then you tell me, wait a second, wait a second, you mean to tell me that all of the love that you have for these people, for your home, for your wife, is not enough to keep you from the bottle, from taking the drink? How can that be? No, when I sit, I start drinking and I cannot stop it. You see, how can that be? If you don't believe in the unconscious, when a person tells me, oh, I don't know if I believe in it. Okay, so what accounts for that? And you ask the man, but do you want to stop drinking? Yes, I do. If you pay attention to the explanation, what you discover, by the logic of life alone, is that that person is already hypnotized to keep on drinking. You may have seen, you know, examples of people being hypnotized on an entertainment stage, and they start to quack like a duck and that kind of thing. I don't do that, and I find that deplorable. But... If you have seen that stuff, the person behaves a certain way that they cannot explain. So when a person says, yeah, but I cannot stop drinking, I cannot stop overeating, I cannot stop smoking, but I want to. Okay, if you want to stop smoking, just don't smoke. It's not quite so simple. So then we come up with excuses. Then we come up with explanations that do sound scientific, but mean nothing. Oh no, but that's an addiction. Okay. Don't give in to the addiction. Don't smoke. Don't eat. No, but, but I'm addicted. You see, we, we, we come up with those words and those concepts that 
apparently remove any degree of, um, in other words, what, we, what we're trying to do here is pretend that the individual, the mind, the being, is not really there. And so, you know, smoke addiction is a really interesting example because I've worked with hundreds of people who quit smoking. It's not so common anymore nowadays, but when I started back in the 90s, smoke cessation was a big deal, was a big part of our business. And there's so much talk about the addictive effects of nicotine and all that stuff, right? And all of that is true from a biochemical point of view. But any hypnotist in the world will tell you that a person can quit smoking like this and never go back. And how is that possible? We're not denying the addictive effects of nicotine on brain cells. That's not what we're doing here. What we're saying is that there's something much more powerful than that, which is a decision by the individual that is released when something else is, is, is released. And the person simply says, I'm no longer a smoker. I'm not a smoker. I don't smoke anymore. Now, they might get a couple cravings here and there, but they, over, they overcome that and they quit smoking. And so, for the person who tells me, I don't know if I believe in hypnosis, I tell them, is there anything in your life that you want to achieve that depends only on you, right? And you haven't been able to. Yeah, I wish I could lose some weight. <laughs> then you're already hypnotized. You already believe in hypnosis. Because if you want to, and if there is no unconscious, if there is nothing about you that you don't know, you should be able to lose weight, right? Just eat less, exercise more, and you lose weight. So, not quite as simple, because there are certain compulsions that obligate us to behave in a certain way. And we have to address that at the level of the subconscious, and then the person is liberated. So, you're on this page right now, because there's something in your life that you want to achieve that you haven't been able to. And I'm here to encourage you to take action. Again, I'm not the judge, and we hypnotherapists are not the judge of what you should do or shouldn't do. That's irrelevant to me. If you tell me I want to lose weight, okay. If you tell me I want to gain weight, okay. We're not here to discuss the relative merits of your goal. We're here to empower you to achieve the goal that you really want to achieve. So, I give you examples of alcoholism, intimacy with the husband, uh, cigarette smoking, weight loss. I give you examples because, you know, those are examples that we can all relate to. But in reality, each one of us has our own challenge, our own personal obstacle. The one thing that we want to achieve but haven't been able to. For some people, it has to do with prosperity. They keep on making money and losing money. There's something there in the unconscious that's not, that's not holding on to prosperity, to money, to finances. And on and on and on, right? So, you have your own reasons for being here. There's something common among all of these different goals. I don't have to list them all. I don't have to say, it could be, you know, per perhaps you want to overcome an addiction. Perhaps you want to uh, stop watching porn. Perhaps you want to... In, in other words, I don't have to list them all because they're all the same. What's the same is this. There's something that only depends on you that you want to achieve that you haven't been able to. Well, in many ways, we're already hypnotized to continue to engage in that behavior. What we need to do is dehypnotize ourselves with more hypnosis, and we're going to be free from that behavior or that feeling. If that's you, we're going to get started right away. Congratulations and blessings.